Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Uncounseling Show with Dr. Fred Bowley. Every Thursday, the good doctor and his guests take a skeptical, Catholic look at conventional counseling and why it often doesn't work. If you want to join in the fun, drop us a note in the chat room or call in at 515-602-9655. That number, once again, is 515-602-9655. And now, Catholic therapist, spiritual advisor and legend in his own mind, Dr. Fred Bowley. Good evening, everyone. That was the um, Beard is Bad Boy. <laughs> My friend Brian, Brian Beard is Bad Boy. And we are here to talk about uncounseling. Why doesn't counseling work? In some senses, sometimes it does work. But in a lot of ways, I think are very uh, serious and worthy of discussion. It does not work. Tonight, we're going to talk about depression. Here's a fact. Out of all the people who have been depressed and then undepressed, probably 99% of them have not had access to therapy. So people getting undepressed has mainly happened around the world and throughout history without benefit of psychotherapy or counseling. So yes, therapy can help you if you're feeling depressed, but you can also sometimes or often Get yourself undepressed, even if you don't have access to a therapist. Now, I want to say, before we start the discussion in earnest, that um, if you are feeling suicidal, get help. There is no shame in asking for help if you are at a point of despair or discouragement where you think you might hurt yourself. So you can call 911 or you can call the suicide hotline, which is 1-800-273-TALK. T-A-L-K. That's 1-800-273-T-A-L-K, which is 8255. If you're feeling suicidal, you don't need to suffer that alone. And suicide, as we always say, is a permanent solution to what is only a temporary problem. So, Brian, can I ask you a personal question? Of course. With all personal questions, you have the right to refuse to answer. Okay. (laughs) Or to put me off like you uh, often do. Yes. Uh, have you ever been depressed? Yes. So what was that like for you? Can you share with us what being depressed was like? Uh, at its low point, it was the worst. Uh, tendency to wallow, uh, cave up in a bedroom, highly medicated. Uh, yeah, it was it was terrible. Hospitalized twice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what was your uh, experience of hospitalization like? <laughs> well, don't mind sharing. Well, no, it was, it was fine. I learned I learned a lot uh, being there, and that's partly how I learned how to uh, take care of myself. Not that they taught me that, but uh, that's what I uh, took away from it was mm-hmm. uh, my ability to work out my own uh, my own depression fix. Right. So it was helpful. It was helpful. Right. Okay, cool. But if you think back about the uh, the symptoms, like I've been depressed myself any number of times, and um, there are a variety of symptoms, and some of them are kind of surprising. People don't necessarily 
uh, associate everything that is a depression symptom with depression, right? So, for example, you can have a stomach ache, and it can be from depression or a headache. Hmm. I don't know if you had anything like that, or did you just have the like the sad mood? What else? Uh, stuff in my face, overeating. Right. Okay. So uh, eating, you can have a, a lack of appetite, or you can go the other way and stuff your face. Comfort eating. Sure. Anything else? How was your sleep? Uh, constant. Okay, so hypersomnia, we call that, where you're sleeping throughout the day. If you have your day off, you spend most of it sleeping. Yeah. But, of course, you can go the other way. No sleep at all. No sleep at all, insomnia. Um, I'm trying to think. What are the other standard uh, um, symptoms of depression? Do you remember anything else? Anger. Anger. Oh, yeah, that's really good. So uh, were you anger, angry at any particular thing or person? Or? Everything. Just everything. Absolutely anything that popped up. Irritability. You, know, you bet. I was on a hair trigger. And how long did your depression last? <laughs> Years. Well, you know, it was a it was a long time. And then uh, I figured out that uh, being medicated uh, wasn't going to fix my depression. That. When I woke up from my medicated fog, mm-hmm. that uh, my depression or my cause of my depression is still going to be there. Yes, and I uh, think that is generally true. Now we have a caller, so let's try to be really kind and patient with this person, unless they don't deserve it. Okay. Go ahead, caller. You're on the air. Hello. Greetings. Wait, that Greetings sounds, from that voice sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds so angelic. Hi, Brian. How are you tonight? Uh, hello, Deb. How are you? So this is our frequent persecutor, uh, Deb Rojas, the infamous counselor from Pennsylvania, who is the host hmm. of a, a second-rate show. <laughs> Rated number four, actually. Uh, we'll see about that. Seven Eastern, six Central, and it's called what's it called, Deb? The Tangled Mess. The Tangled Mess, yeah, not the Tangled because Web. Pretty much all of our lives are a tangled mess to some degree yeah. or another. Absolutely. So, Deb, do you mind sharing? I mean, again, it's the same principle as with Brian. Like, I'm going to ask you a personal question, which you can say I'd rather not answer, or you can prevaricate, mm-hmm. right, and get out of it. <laughs> But the question is, have you suffered from depression? I have. Um, Not severe depression, like a severe Mm -hmm. debilitating depression, but um, to the point where I was very sad for a a long period of time. It affected my motivation, um, clarity, clarity of thought, um, kind of withdrew from people. Prayer was really, really difficult, too. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're depressed, you tend to feel oftentimes less worthy, right? And you don't mm-hmm. even think about it in your normal course of life, or I didn't. But when you get depressed suddenly, or suddenly or gradually, you feel like you're not worthy to talk to God. And so there's that mm-hmm. tendency to even stop praying. Did you ever stop right. praying, Brian? No, no, were you like, no, no, I was still praying. Right. 
asking so for help. I, I kind of sort of it wasn't that I stopped but it was just really really difficult it, it just felt like it wasn't really getting anywhere and so what I did was I communicated to friends that I was really struggling and asked them to pray for me because I couldn't I was having such trouble at oh that point. I do that a lot I usually try to have my mother pray for me because uh, in my opinion, uh, mom has the uh, hotline to God. <laughs> uh, Your mom's a prayer warrior. She is a prayer warrior. Oh, that's and, awesome. uh, yeah, and uh, she's just a better Christian than me. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely utilize my mother a lot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I have a message from someone who's listening to the show, and they mention another symptom, which I think is key. Paralysis. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we would talk yeah. about um, uh, a really low motivation, right? You just don't care mm-hmm. about anything. And that is also linked, which might not be as obvious, but it's linked to not enjoying stuff, right? Sometimes it gets mm-hmm. bad enough. Mm-hmm. Food tastes like ashes. Television is not worth watching. You might sit there in front of it, but you're not really watching, right? You can't be bothered to do anything. Your motivation goes way down and your energy goes way down. And it's really hard at that point to get yourself out of it. Does that ring a bell mm-hmm. with you? Yeah. You know, um, not to the point of paralysis, but I've seen it in clients. Mm-hmm. I've definitely, I've seen it in clients, and that is a very difficult place to come back from. Right. Well, one of, the, one of my standard little sayings is uh, the illness attacks the cure, right? And I don't mm-hmm. think depression is an illness like uh, like the flu or COVID or something. But anything that you're dealing with that's uh, an issue that you're trying to overcome is usually the case in counseling or therapy that the thing itself makes it hard to treat the thing itself, right? So would you say that that's true, Deb? Does that apply? Yeah, absolutely, because what we need to be doing is getting outside, taking a walk, and the last thing we want to do is move. And Brian, what do you want? Well, I think you should force yourself to do the dishes, uh, force yourself to do the mundane, uh, small cleaning things, because once you accomplish that and you look at it, that's a victory, and that kind of is a step to pulling yourself out of, the, the pit of depression that you're in. So this is key because Brian has experience of walking himself up out of the slew of depression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody feels like when they're depressed that they can force themselves out of it. Is there some way that either of you guys know that a person feels like they can't force themselves to do those things? What is a stepping stone? What is some sand we could put under their wheels? Well, I just said that by doing the household chores, like Deb said, going outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> um, I, I would say two things. One is just doing one very, very small thing every day, just starting with, like, one super basic thing, like, even if it's as basic as wash your face. Bathing, yeah, bathing is key. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. like, like something self-care related, exactly. Um, you know, or sit on the porch for, for 10 minutes, get outside. Um, well, two excellent things that are included in that, Deb, I think, and that is, uh, number one, um, you will often feel overwhelmed when you're depressed, right? 
Yes, the whole problem is you can get yourself to do stuff. To it for sure. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes if you if you're lucky like Brian and have like a super tough strength character down under there somewhere, then you can mm-hmm. just force yourself to do it. Sometimes yep. you don't feel like you can even force yourself to do it. Yeah, sometimes but if you things subdivide, feel so desperate. Yeah, you just do a very small mm-hmm. task, right? And the thing of it is, uh, a lot of times it's hard to get people who are depressed and moving. So I will say to them, uh, they say, I have a huge pile of dishes, you know, and I just can't face it or whatever. And I'll say, don't do the dishes. Your number one job is don't do the dishes. I would like you to do one dish, right? Mm-hmm. So each day you just do one dish. And what usually happens or often enough is they come back and say, well, I know you said don't do the dishes, but mm-hmm. I, I kind of got going, and so then I just went ahead and finished. <laughs> right, Brian? Absolutely. Why do one dish? Well, because <laughs> I mean, what's that going to do? <laughs> it's ready for my next snack. Yeah. Well, Where's my Doritos? Go. There you go. But what happens when you've done that one dish? Why does that help people? Well, I never experienced doing one dish as being helpful. I experienced doing the dishes, doing a task, and being able to see that the task is done. I'm, uh, you know, doing a plate ain't gonna, it's not gonna get it done for the simple fact there's a whole other stack of plates <laughs> waiting to get washed. No, Brian, you are in Yes, Fred. <laughs> do one dish because if I take pressure off people, they do one dish, and guess what? Doing one dish is actually rewarding. It makes you feel a little bit better, and it starts to reconnect in your brain the connection between doing something and getting a reward for something, a tiny little feeling of accomplishment. And once they've done that, guess what? Their motivation pops up just that little bit, so they do two. And once they've done two, they're like, I'm just going to go for it, right? And pretty soon, all of the dishes are done. Yes, Doc, you're right. Of course you are. It's brilliant. But, you know, it, what Brian is, is saying is that for him personally, that would not be encouraging. Right. Yeah, I got to you know? do all of it. Yeah, for him, but you have this this will of steel. You know, you're like, I might feel like that, but I'm just going to, I'm going to do it and I don't care. Yeah. Right? You just yeah. kind of go in with that, that attitude. Not everyone has that internal fortitude. True story. And, you know, and that's, and so that overwhelm that, that Dr. Fred is talking about here is, um, is really, it needs a tremendous amount of affirmation and encouragement. So, and so it that be, one well be that you are uh, one of the people who can walk your, yourself up out of the depression. Well, it's not always been mm-hmm. that way. It's, yeah. it's, you force yourself to do it. Right. And if you can, that's great. But if you don't feel like it's working, then mm-hmm. certainly. Then, clean, then clean, clean the spoon and <laughs> be happy with the spoon. So call uh, Deb. Um, Deb, what, do you remember your number off the top of your head, or is that something you have to look it is, at? It is 610-601-9781. So 610-601-9781, or um, integritycounselingpa.org. And you can also get hold of me uh, at stbarn.org, S-T-B-A-R-N.org. 
or any questions that you might have about depression or counseling or therapy or that sort of stuff. So how can they get a hold one, of Brian? Just don't get a hold of me. <laughs> if you want to get a hold of Brian, call the FBI. Yes. Homeland uh, Security. Um, <laughs> if you would like to talk to us now, we would love to take your questions or comments at 515-602-9655. That's 515-602-9655. Uh, ask me anything. I won't necessarily answer. Um, uh, so we were talking about how people get stuck in depression because they don't have the motivation to do what's necessary to get out of depression. Therefore, one of the, the usual things to do is to break up that globalized thinking by getting a very small task, right? And in fact, you can systematically do that by doing what we call behavioral activation. So do a whole list of very, very, very small tasks that are rewarding for you. So not necessarily do the dishes, but do one dish. <laughs> Brian's not going to lie. Sure. <laughs> or maybe not sweep the whole house, but sweep the kitchen. Or it, maybe you find that too much. So instead of sweeping the kitchen, one day you get the broom out. Sweep it from the sink. Exactly. So you can do your one dish. Yes, yes, precisely. But you put down, you list these things uh, for every day of the week. <clears throat> And uh, two things for every day, say, you can do less than that or more as the, as the uh, situation justifies. But you cross it off as you do it. Why? It's not because we're trying to, like, get a lot of things done. We're trying to reestablish the connection between doing things and getting a reward for things. Because um, you can say, well, I shouldn't have to have that or whatever. But if you get it reestablished, everything becomes possible, right? Prayer becomes possible. Worship becomes possible. Doing anything of any value becomes possible at that point. Brian, what were you going to say? No, I, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> I agreeing with everything you were saying, except the one dish. <laughs> we have the one <laughs> dish today. That's it. We need to devote a whole show to the one dish. No, oh, yeah, we can really do the that. The whole show is called the one dish. That, isn't that the title of the show, Fred? What's that? The, the, one, the one dish? Yeah, that would mm-hmm. be a great show. That would probably shoot up to number one. <laughs> we need to do another show, yeah. Another podcast called One Dish. The One Dish. What dish do you do? The spoon or you know, the saucer plate? So, yeah, there is a book. Isn't there a book on. called The One Thing? I believe the there's a book called, called The One Thing. The One Thing? The one thing, and it's essentially that principle of, you know, just do the next right thing, but just choose one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And in that, make incremental changes them. that are encouraging and that do allow for for growth and productivity. Whatever, whatever throws a rope into the hole that you're in that you can use to pull mm-hmm. yourself out of, uh, do it, you know. That's absolutely right. Um, You can get overwhelmed if you say, I'm going to write a book. But if you say, I'm going to get paper out to start writing a book, that's much more doable. Mm -hmm. Or come up Mm -hmm. with the title of the book. Yeah, absolutely. Or ideas for chapters or a page a day or a few pages a week. Depending on where you are and what your motivation level is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So secondly, um, uh, 
it's weird, but one of the, the most basic treatments for depression is large muscle movement. And what might you mean by that, They're They're they're, they're down deep, deep. What were you saying, Deb? I said, what might you mean by that? Mm. Yes, I mean uh, taking a walk, really, is what I mean by large muscle mm-hmm. movement. Well, it could be working out, too. It I mean, could be I mean even though that seems insurmountable, you know, because uh, but uh, yeah. the endorphins going, uh, it's, uh, it's a good thing for depression. Absolutely. Uh, if you're not to the point yet where you can uh, motivate yourself, motivate yourself to work out, mm-hmm. walk is, is also really good. Just moving your leg muscles and arm muscles by not taking a long walk or even an aerobic walk or anything like that, but merely a stroll into the kitchen to do that one plate. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> walking through the kitchen and back is better than nothing. Walking around the outside of the house is good. I mean, that's good enough to start with. Absolutely. And then later on, maybe you can try walking around the block or to the, the corner or whatever. But uh, certainly... Moving your large muscles at a very minimal level is uh, good to help you get to the next stage where you can get a little motivated to try something else. Mm-hmm. So have you, do you use that, Deb, or do you do more like higher-level uh, higher interventions with your clients? Typically? No, I definitely, definitely use, as you say, large muscle movement, which I would just call a walk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, just getting outside. I find, you know, I work with a lot of women and the the companionship, like having somebody go with them, being able to do it with a friend is very meaningful. And I, I find that those clients who have people around them um, supporting and helping them come back, helping them out of that pit, uh, they they definitely have the most success. So good. Uh, involvement with people. When you're depressed, you often really don't feel like hanging out with people. Mm-hmm. You tend to isolate. And so uh, it's it works the other way, too. If you refuse to isolate, but you hang with people, mm-hmm. even if you're not necessarily like having really deep, in-depth discussions about depression, just being with people counters the depression and can help you um, get out mm-hmm. of it. Did you uh, hang out with anyone, Brian, when you were depressed? What helped you? Well, I had to. I had a I had a daughter to raise. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But don't get me wrong, my uh, parenting skills slipped quite a bit. Sure. Uh, but uh, uh, sure, there was. But there was also a lot of uh, uh, cutting off of things. You know, from people and doing things. So yeah, not not really. I got you. Um, speaking of hanging out with people, we have Ashanti Banks in the chat room. Hello, Ashanti. Welcome. Send us a question or a comment when and if you feel like it. Uh, in a minute, we're going to have another guest. Actually, the notorious <laughs> Yachek Thompson. The trouble is you guys can't uh, see Brian's expression as I talk here, so you probably don't understand why I periodically laugh. But anyway, if you could see this guy and the uh, sarcastic looks he gives me. Anyway, um, uh, Mr. Thompson is a member of the Lay Dominicans, and he's also a renowned expert 
within his small group of friends, at least, <laughs> uh, on uh, sports, hockey in particular, which is getting a little bit late for hockey. We're nearing the end of the hockey season. Um, you didn't even know they were playing. <laughs> it used to be like two months ago the hockey would have been finished. Nowadays, we're in the playoffs and heading to the Stanley Cup Finals. Anyway, I have some uh, questions to ask uh, Mr. Thompson, but we will uh, wait till he gets here. But I was going to say as well, right, uh, being with other people, um, taking a walk or doing some other minimal, minimal level of exercise, large muscle movement, um, doing very small tasks, right, but doing it on a regular basis every day. And I think it's very helpful to cross those off your list as you do it because it helps you make the connection between action and reward. Brian, were you about to say something? No, I was, okay. I was, I was, I was thinking writing a list so you can cross things off. And, well, writing a list yeah. is actually like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's a good thing. People don't necessarily notice it happening, but it is a good thing. Yep. Right. Um, people who are depressed tend to think globally, so we're always going to try to think more particularly do you know what I mean by globally, Brian? No, because usually when I'm depressed, I'm just thinking about myself. Right. Well, that's a good point. So when I'm talking about globally, I'm not talking about the globe per se or the problems. Well, I know what you meant. World hunger. Florida. What I'm talking about is instead of saying, this, uh, my sore knee, it sucks, right? Mm. You, you say, everything sucks, right? I'm always having uh, some sort of pain or problem. So in terms of time, you're going to say always or never. And in terms of uh, situations, mm. you're going to say everything or everyone okay. or no one or nothing. Right. You tend to globalize. Mm-hmm. It's all or nothing thinking when you're depressed, typically. Makes sense. So again, it's just like the isolating thing. If we go and do the opposite to that, then uh, it tends to undepress you. So once again, instead of saying... Uh, nobody likes me, you say, it really bums me out that Brian doesn't like me. (laughs) 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 Bonus. Not necessarily unexpected. Right. He's so grumpy. (laughs) But, um, uh, yes, so when you're depressed and you would like to feel a little bit better, right, because it's never all great or all horrible. One should be concerned if Brian likes them or not. then it helps to be more particular, more detailed about mm-hmm. what it is that bugs you and what's okay. wrong with your It makes life. total sense. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it, it's just to be able to say, instead of, instead of the whole world, the whole world is falling apart, it's like, oh, well, really, it's more just my knee. <laughs> you know, my <laughs> knee, my knee hurts. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm not dying. Yeah. You know, my, my, my knee hurts or I have a cold. Um yeah, that, um, and actually that's a common, uh, a teenagers have a, a tendency to talk like that, too. I don't know if you can In terms of the all or nothing thinking? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and catastrophically. Catastrophic thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, is it any wonder that teens tend to be more depressed than uh, fully-fledged adults? Hmm. Yeah. I think that's perfectly expectable. I was depressed. Mm-hmm. In the, I remember being depressed in the sixth grade. Really? Oh, hmm. yeah. Do you know what it was? Or you don't have to answer that, but if you want to, you could. like Home life. Your home life, yeah. yeah. Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so you um, had the feeling that life sucked because your home life was difficult or such. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. Uh, we mentioned something a while ago, which I think really deserves more attention, and that is self-care. What is self-care? What do you mean when you say self-care? Bathing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. An hour-long bubble bath every night. Oh, yeah, that's um, me. Two hours, in the, two hours in the gym every day. Yeah. Um, Get that lavender, diet. smelly stuff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> An organic diet, you know, no... Uh, uh, no, we no. said self-care, Deb. We didn't say like horrible. No, yeah, yeah. Bad. Why, why do that to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Get some Pringles, uh, you know. Did you know? You know, that, when you're uh, depressed, sometimes self-care is just brushing your teeth. Yep. Well, it certainly is. You know, even if you're not depressed, that is a part of self-care, right? Sure, absolutely. And it can make a big difference to your mood at the moment, your mood and motivation mm-hmm. to do something as simple as brushing your teeth. It's really good. Yeah. What are some other examples of self-care? If I I just got up, showered, put a little bit of makeup on. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like I was ready to meet the day. That preparation was there. Mm -hmm. Got to have that foundation on to to get through the day. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, Brian, for women, it's armor, my friend. Yes, ma'am. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's interesting. I mean, I uh, I take you at your word, Deb. It makes sense to me. And in a mm-hmm. certain sense, it's like some kind of protection, right? Mm-hmm. From maybe from being judged or something. Is that fair enough? Putting on uh, a mask. Well, no, from being seen. From, from being seen completely. <laughs> from being seen. Oh, because, so you can hide a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, foundation covers like. Depending on the thickness, if you want, like, I could give you a little tutorial. But um, no yeah, thanks. <laughs> there are different, no thanks. different levels of coverage, and, you know, some is very, some it's very transparent. It's, like, almost not there. Others, it's more like a, like a paste. You know, it's, like, very thick and cakey. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, it does create a barrier. Right. Some kind of barriers. It's, like, a, just a little bit, I think, for women, it's like, well, they don't know what I look like without all my makeup on. So uh, makeup is great, but in terms of improving your mood, I would say that it probably is not as effective as actually watching a hockey match. <laughs> oh, my God. Lord I'd rather put on makeup. So, <laughs> our next that might guest... <laughs> spiral one into some trouble. <laughs> well, I... I in my sordid past, I was once involved in a street fight and a hockey game broke out. Just huh. saying. <laughs> That's very, very funny. So I'm glad you're welcome. Good job. Please welcome Mr. Yacek Thompson. Good evening, Yacek. Hey, good evening, everybody. How are you? Not doing too bad. How are you, friend? Good. I um, started the show <laughs> more or less depressed, and now I'm uh, more depressed. No, just kidding. Oh, no. I worked 25 minutes then, thanks. So, uh, now, was, was uh, street have, fighting uh, more common in Michigan where you grew up, or was, <laughs> was hockey more common in Michigan, would you say? It's kind of hard to distinguish between the street fighting, mm. professional basketball, and the hockey. <laughs> one, of them, one of them is on skates, but it's not always clear which one. So... 
Let me ask for you more a question. Commentary. When can they tune in, Fred? They can tune in for more sports commentary next week at seven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> seven Eastern, six Central. Um, uh, so I wanted to ask you a question, Mr. Thompson. Um, and that is, in hockey, there seems to be fighting. Like, Brian doesn't understand anything about hockey. <laughs> you know, have I ever been tempted to care? <laughs> Which, and that's a shame because of all the sporting events, I haven't, like, I'm not a big sports person, but of all the ones that I have actually attended in person, hockey is the funnest, right? It's the best thing to watch. Is he still there? I don't know. Are you there, Yaki? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm here. Oh, yeah. Listening to, uh, to to certain hatred of the game of hockey coming in from November. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's not it's a hatred. Happened. It's just, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But not an indifference, what would we call it? Uh, it's not indifference, I don't think. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, yeah, there's Philadelphia chiming in, I suppose. Yes. Good evening. <laughs> I'm sorry, so the question is uh, hockey and fighting, right? Um, it's famous for its fights, but it's, for a Catholic, right? I mean, right in the Bible it says don't uh, be engaged in brawling, right, and all this. It so, says that in the Bible? Yeah. Really? What what chapter and verse is that? <laughs> I'm not a Protestant. You don't have to look okay. it up yourself. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so what is the moral <laughs> what is the moral status of uh, fighting in hockey or in sports in general really well, I mean what do you think about that so uh, as a proud member of the only two religious orders that can boast a division one men's hockey national championship uh, the other is the Jesuits so they don't even really count mm-hmm. uh, I did the only natural thing when you put question to me. I consulted the text of our great master, St. Thomas Aquinas. Excellent. Now, so to speak to your question, uh, I think St. Thomas would say that fighting in hockey is wrong, but I actually think you have to go pretty far down the argument before he'd say so. Uh, I think it's actually quite, I think it's more life to see the way he thinks about this question. Um, Firstly, though, one thing I'm certain of in this matter is that he would not accept a standard argument you often hear in faith in the game, which goes something like this. Um, fighting is a way of settling disputes and making sure that scores are settled openly. And honestly, um, if we, the game players would have to do these things behind the ref's back, you'd actually see more injuries, more bad blood. So the game's better off with fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very utilitarian argument. Uh, and like any good Christian, mm-hmm. St. Thomas is no utilitarian. Um, he, he thinks mm-hmm. the expected result of your actions is something you need to take into account. But if the act is wrong, the act is no amount of positive consequences would justify it. Right. Um, God did not put us on this earth to achieve certain outcomes. He put us here to become the sort of person that can spend all eternity. The damage sin does to your mortal soul outweighs any earthly benefit, even lifting the Stanley Cup. Um, now, on the other hand, <laughs> a lot more comfortable with physical violence than your average 21st century ethicist would be. Um, mm-hmm. St. Thomas memorized the Bible by around age 20, and there's no shortage of examples from Scripture. That seems to run contrary to, to the passage you, you quoted. Um, so think of uh, Genesis 32, Jacob wrestling with the angel. Um, and, right. and not only is not he's rewarded for it, uh, greatly so. Um, mm-hmm. St. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, uses a uh, boxing metaphor uh, with no apparent concern in that passage that he might be giving his readers. Uh, boxing seems to be just another, another part of his world. Right. Um, so I'd, I'd say that, at the very least for St. Thomas, the question of, is it okay to fight in hockey, 
uh, live question for him at the very least. So to dig into what might be his answer, uh, I'm going to quote a passage from the Summa here uh, at a point where he's basically asking the question, the Secunda Secunda, which is the second part of the second part of the Summa, he's asking the question, essentially, is it ever okay to hit somebody? Right. He said, absolutely. Let me answer that for you. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> God almost requires you to do so with mighty thunder. <laughs> they have to deserve it, though. Is that what you're saying, Brian? No. 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 You have to think that they deserve it. At this point, I'm a little worried for Fred over there, but but I'll uh, continue <laughs> quoting St. Thomas, and uh, hopefully I can I can restrain Brian enough with this with his argument. Sorry. But St. Uh, Thomas says in this question, quote, now, it is unlawful to do a person harm, uh, which means here simply to strike someone uh, in the context of this question, by way of punishment in the cause of justice. Now, no man justly punishes another except one who is subject to his jurisdiction. Therefore, call for a man to strike another unless he have some power over the one whom he strikes. Hmm. So, if you ask St. Thomas, is it okay to strike you want an answer to at least three questions. First, is it in response to an injustice? Second, is fighting an acceptable means of redressing that injustice? And finally, is one with lawful authority carrying out the punishment? So to the first question, um, oftentimes, yes, uh, fighting is about redressing a wrong. I put the cheap shot on another team's star player. Someone skates mm-hmm. in hard on a goalie after the whistle's blown. Um, somebody takes a slap shot in the direction of a guy who's lost his helmet. I've seen firsthand fights start over all three of those things, and I think St. Thomas would agree they are genuine injustices that ought to be redressed. So now second, fight illicit means of addressing injustice. Uh, in principle, at least, it could be. Um, so long as he says elsewhere in this, in this passage, so long as you aren't trying to maim someone's term, um, in other words, so long as you're not trying to damage the very integrity of their body, or you're not trying to blind them or, or right. really seriously wound them um, – you're not saying that he thinks some sort of quote unquote corporal punishment is okay at least in certain cases mm-hmm. um so what about this case uh that's where we third question and it's the third question where i think he'd start to have concerns so generally speaking he seems to envision this is a question about lawful authority generally speaking he seems to envision one person as having the lawful authority to punish wrongdoing in any community um maybe that authority has some deputies but for him the whole point of lawful authority to be not everyone in the community exercises it. Um, and although right. our, there are, are certainly players in the NHL called enforcers who fight more than others, in principle, this is an option open to anyone on the ice. Uh, so to illustrate mm-hmm. this with a hypothetical, um, what doesn't happen in the NHL, it's not the case. that uh, It's not as though the ref personally gives a guy a few left hooks to, to you know, every time someone gets called for slashing. Um, right. In that scenario, you know, however, strangely, uh, at least there would be a unitary um, anybody on the ice, however, in, in hockey as it actually exists, anybody on the ice can, in theory, attempt to hand out this punishment. And that just needs to be a vision of when it's possible to strike someone in justice. Um, now, I, I mean, I, I could be wrong here. Maybe there's some scenario in which St. Thomas signs on all of the players being deputized by the referee or, or the other lawful authority to punish these infractions as they come up during the game. Um, maybe the dividing line is instead between players on the versus the bench, or, or maybe even the players generally, as opposed to the drunk guy in Section 21. Uh, and that has happened right. in Philadelphia, I might add. 
<laughs> but I wouldn't feel comfortable pushing St. Thomas out on that limb based on anything I've read in him. Um, so now, um, finally, does this mean no Catholic parent options go find his kid up for hockey this fall? Uh, absolutely not. Um, fighting is not a listed part of the game until you turn pro, and even at that point, St. Thomas would not have a problem with you defending yourself again. Overall on this question, uh, I'm going to err on the side of him saying fighting hockey is not okay because even though it can be a legitimate means of redressing injustice, it's not, in this case, limited to a unitary lawful authority. Gotcha. So, uh, in other words, uh, if someone skates over to you and drops their gloves and starts punching you, you can punch them back. Absolutely. So, you know, just because someone starts a fight with you, it doesn't give you recourse to any means you might use in response. Some guy backs you into the boards that doesn't give you permission to take off your skate and, and start like slashing at him to, to seriously nice. injure him. Um, now, see, that would be even part though that, of the game again, I would want to watch. Happen probably in Philadelphia. Um, but um, you can certainly defend yourself with proportionate means. Right. So uh, let me be devil's advocate on that. Um, uh, it, fighting is part of the game, right? It's assumed that you're going to fight. And in fact, it's kind of um, written into the rules, right? So I don't know if I'm up to, oh no, I know I'm not up to date, but let me, let me give you my understanding of the rules, uh, Nathan, you can tell me. Like two guys who get into a fight have to go to the penalty box, but it's not a major penalty. You're only there for what, two minutes or what is the penalty for fighting? Uh, it's a five minute major for fighting. Uh, but it's still, you know, it is something limited. It's not as though you're tossed out of the game or necessarily suspended just for, for starting a fight. But the third guy into the fight, right? Doesn't he have like a worse penalty than the first two? In some cases, yes. Um, if a guy were to kind of like raise the temperature of a situation at some point where it gets out of hand, you might see him punished a little more severely by the officials. Um, generally speaking, though, yeah, it's 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 something that's punished, but it's, it's kind of an accepted part of the game um you know take soccer as another example where you know a, a foul is technically against the rules and so if no one broke the rules the whole course of the game there wouldn't be any foul um but at any serious level you'd never have a game go by without any fouls it's it's against the rules but it's it's an accepted part of the game um and even as fighting has diminished some in recent years i i would say that's still the case um at, at the highest levels of hockey mm-hmm. so um the other question I had was, well, I guess my point when I was asking that, I, I should probably like clarify that a little bit because <laughs> since they have, Brian is giving me a disgusted look for this question, but um, <laughs> because it's like written into the rules, therefore it's kind of accepted that that is like just a part of the game. And so therefore, if you want to play the game well, there always has to be the possibility that if you misbehave and all kinds of things escape the ref's attention, of course, right? So if you want to uh, play shenanigans on my team, be ready because I, I'm more than ready to drop my gloves and punch you. Or no? Yeah, I mean, and I think here's where you get into the question. Like, you know, one person might make a utilitarian argument for fighting like I did earlier. Uh, an argument that someone else might bring to bear is just, hey, you know, the kind of the, the if it happens in Vegas, it stays in Vegas. You have moral philosophy. Right. Um, you, you know, once you enter that ice or once you step on that gridiron, um, all bets are off. You know, you play by the rules of that game and you're morally accountable to anyone or anything for what you do out on that field. Um, th- that's a pretty extreme version of an argument, but I think a lot of people generally do think that is that, yeah, you know, just once, once the field is kind of counterfeit. 
all bets are off, and you simply can't be held morally accountable in quite the same way that you are when you're off it. Um, I think to a large degree that's true. I mean, take virtually any sport that's played at a high level in America, um, even mm. something like baseball that's generally thought to be pretty nonviolent. I, I mean, right. it, it, you know, if I showed up at, at and uh, chucked a small, hard projectile 98 miles an hour. I wish I could actually do that. Not actually throw something at you, but actually throw anything 98 miles per hour. Right. Um, if I did that and you know got it about eight inches from your face and said, oh, no, I, I, was, I was doing that on purpose. I was just trying to brush him back from the plate a bit, set him up for that slider on the one-two. Um, mm-hmm. I don't the the police in, in your neck of the woods would take very kindly to that explanation. Um, and, and so there, there, there is just a, there's a difference in conventions um, – you play virtually any sort of sport than there is normally. Uh, and that's right and good. Um, and Aquinas is a very great respecter of custom in any human community. Mm-hmm. There's a limit to that. Um, certain things for Aquinas are intrinsic moral evils. Um, if we choose to do this thing, it will always be wrong, no matter the circumstances, no matter our intentions. And so even though there is a large degree of custom that, that makes any sport what it is, hockey, baseball, whatever, um, mm-hmm. there's a limit. There's things that I mean, if, if if that act is wrong, if that act is sinful, I can't do it no matter where I find myself on the hockey rink, on the baseball field, wherever. Um, right. So, um, I, you know, this is really the force of that question comes in: is fighting wrong in hockey? Is charging the mound wrong in baseball? Um, right. Is going to the stands in basketball to, uh, to to you know go after someone who's um, who's been yakking at you all night? Is that okay? Um, at least the, the, the way you've got to approach these questions is understanding um, the moral life, the life of grace and sin and virtue and holiness and heaven does not stop the moment I tie up my skates. Um, I am as much a creature of the Lord um, when I'm on the ice as when I'm off it. I, as, I, am, I stand in, in as much need of, of Christ's grace and his salvation um, when I'm on that field versus when I'm off it. Um, mm-hmm. And so even if there's a lot of leeway that you can give to human customs, um, th- th- there comes a point at which you're morally accountable to the Lord uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Yeah, no, that's cool because I think that the, there is that kind of mindset where as soon as you step onto the, the, the ice or onto the field or whatever, that you're kind of in a different universe. And although you're going to uh, quickly do a little sign of the cross over yourself since you are a, a faithful uh, Methodist, and you, you need the good luck, right? But um, it seems to be that they, there's that attitude that you're actually in a different moral universe for that moment. I think that's a good point. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to not just make the the negative point about don't do wrong, but but really the positive point that, you know, I, I, my athletes, college or high school athletes, spend a huge amount of time poured into these sports um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're a college athlete at Providence College, I don't know why you would go there to be a college athlete because they cut their <laughs> baseball team, but they're also Dominican. I'm so conflicted. Gosh. Um, <laughs> but if you're a college athlete pouring 40, 60 hours of your week into this sport, you've got to think, is Providence College becoming a better place for having a hockey team, although not a baseball team, to grin. Um, is Providence, Rhode Island, is the state of Rhode Island, is the United States, is the universe better off? Am I serving the common good by uh-huh. doing that for 40, 50 hours a week? Um, mm-hmm. If the answer is no, um, if, if your athletic activity is a source of uh, vice and scandal to those around you, um, I saw the, the news just earlier today, 
uh, about the University of Alabama firing its baseball coach over some improper bets that were placed to do with, with mm-hmm. his team potentially throwing games. Um, mm-hmm. That's not building up the folks the UA or in Tuscaloosa um, to, to bring them closer to the Lord and to bring them closer to heaven. Um, so I think it's really important not just to say, you know, don't, don't do egregiously wrong things when you're out uh, with sweater on your back on the ice, but um, think about is your community better off um, for having that sports team go out there every weekend? That's a really good point, and I think that uh, you have touched the third railer. That's very dangerous talk in the United States of America. Yeah, check, because there's nothing higher than sports in this country, right? So many mm-hmm. people will give up everything else in favor of sports. Deb, what were you going to say? Well, you know, as Nathan was talking, I was thinking, like, can a gentleman play hockey? You know, Good can question. a gentleman go out onto the ice, you know, essentially turn into a barbarian for however many hours? Well, there's a lot more but, to hockey. Than just... <laughs> there's some knuckle dragging to do, too. No, I know. It's not. So barbarian is a little strong. So as you were talking about how, you know, like the, the Methodist <clears throat> makes the sign of the cross and goes onto the ice and, you know, is like, you know, wanting to take his faith with him, per se, um, that it is two different contexts. It's like the gentleman kind of becomes a warrior mm-hmm. in that particular context. And so the rules and the faith, like even the, the tools, the rules, the tools, all change. And the observing fools. <laughs> you have to put that <laughs> Brian. What? I'm sorry. I kind of went into a glaze. There you go. Um, so that was just, that was kind of one question. And then I had another one that totally blew away. It was, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. An argument against hockey and contact sports in general are that, you know, guys who play these contact sports, they always get their noses broken and bent out of shape, and it just really affects their looks. Well, not just that, their teeth seem to be falling Before out. For the better, you know. of course. They got, they got, they got that one uh, certain grin. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. yeah so no, I, I think that question brings up a, a pretty important point, honestly, because when I, when I was looking for a passage in Aquinas that, that might help us think about this question in his mind, um, was I had to, like, go out of my way to avoid the passages where he talks about war, um, which is a mm-hmm. case where, you know, like it, it is certainly okay uh, in a just, um, As a just to, to do more than force. just cause someone pain. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you can in certain cases use deadly force and use it justly. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the, the problem that we sometimes run into when people get uh, too deep into sports, both in our country and in and most every other on the globe, um, they assume that like, honestly, in a terms like a state of war exists between me and those other players with the other color laundry on the on the on the field um, even between me and other fans mm-hmm. do do and say and enact a thousand terrible things while I'm in the stands at that NBA playoff game and just kind of you know while I'm out of towards this thing it happened um you know I I, I don't want to I, I feel like I'm coming off I'm pretty negative on sports here honestly I I mean I, I can't say enough for for the goods for someone in, in a complete life, um, certainly in my own and in the lives of my best friends. Um, mm-hmm. It's an example I go to all the time in, in trying to explain point philosophy or theology to people. It's mm-hmm. such a good example uh, of people coming together to seek some common good. Um, mm-hmm. But um, 
very least, the the tendency to think of sports as a sort of um, sports fandom, I think, especially as a sort of, in some cases, at least a morality free zone where kind of goes, but then I can just check back out of that as soon as I walk out of the stadium. Um, I think that's a pretty dangerous tendency, and and it's something you've got to watch out for, uh, not only in sports, uh, walks of life in our culture, I think, um, Mm -hmm. where people just seem to have this sense that, yeah, you know, you know, morality, it's something that we kind of set up when we we all we, we kind of have a, a private short-term reason for, for thinking that these rules are good to enforce. And well, you know, if, if we change our minds or if those things fail to be of, to us, kind of just, just change as we go along. Um, there's a place for that. There's a place for custom. There's a place for human law. Um, but there's got to be a place for more than that too. And so whether it's sports or anywhere about... else, uh, we can't approach it with this mindset of, you know, I, I can just pick up and, and drop rules as I see fit because they're just human conventions. Ultimately, if they're good rules, Rather than something more. Sorry, go ahead, Deb. So you're kind of like talking about obsession in the extreme, which in general is not ever really a healthy good thing. Um, no, yeah, I, mean, I believe about, yeah. Right. So in thinking about like what the appeal is for men, like why do men like sports so much? Um, the thought comes to mind that that desire to fight a battle. You know, men love to fight a battle, be on an adventure, pursue a beauty. That's um, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge. Um, And sports kind of mimics the battle. Gives an opportunity to, like, get some of that. I don't know. What do you think about that participation in the the warrior battle element? No offense, but have you put on your foundation today? Shut up. (laughs) Good response, Deb. Uh, I, I think there there might be something to this to, to answer your serious question kind of humorously, but when you look at the range of things that that men will not only fit in to get some some of this sense of battle, um, but that other men will watch by the hundreds of thousands on ESPN two uh, when they do it. Um, I spent about thirty watching something called World Chase Tag the other week, um, which is this apparently obscure emerging sport that is, is played by a very certain subset of the world's population, but it is an obstacle course and like someone from one team starts on it and then they like release the other guy in and mm-hmm. if the one can evade the other for 30 seconds they're champion um <laughs> I, I mean i i can think of some more like frivolous or silly sounding sports but that's got to be up there and and i mean mm-hmm. like you will find some take you can pick up a set of rules make up a game um you will find some takers um i i don't know that the the model of the, the warrior or the battle would be the only uh way I certainly think there's something to that. That makes sense to me. But I think also part of sports is um, uh, to be a member of something that's greater than yourself, right? To be a member of a team, a band of brothers. You know, you don't often, in modern times especially, get a chance to do that. Yeah, I I think there's really – there's a pretty good reason. I think it it comes back to just what you're like I said, St. Paul uses the boxing metaphor in Corinthians. He uses mm-hmm. sports metaphors, metaphors a, a, I mean, a pretty good amount in, in preaching to some very different communities. Um, he sees something. Um, he sees something in running the race so as to win um, that can really illuminate some very deep truths about the moral and spiritual life for us. Um, I think I think you know, to, to kind of sum up, there's something really valuable for us to take here, um, but we've got to be wary uh, of those tendencies in our culture uh, to obsess this. Um, to, to make 
to, to, to make war where, where there's not truly, truly war, um, where there can just be uh, a good, honest game of hockey. Right. People get uh, really upset and uh, spend tons of time and money and uh, get all out of kilter. But it's not just in sports. You know, I would point out that people segregate their faith life from their professional life as well. So, Deb, you know this is true, right, in, in therapy and in counseling. A lot of people leave their faith at the door. A lot of therapists do. And I think it's terribly harmful because there is no more sort of central activity than trying to help people learn how to be happy. And if you don't understand what happiness is or if you exclude the the true definition uh, of happiness from your work as a therapist, then you are not doing a good job for your clients whatsoever. Amen. So thank you for being with us this evening. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Yachek and Deb. Um, Remember that quality podcasts are available every evening live at 7 o'clock Eastern and 6 o'clock Central. And you can look for the uh, recordings as well on the Blog Talk Radio website, but especially on um, the Four Persons Podcast. Um, This is a joint production of the Four Persons Podcast and St. Barnabas um, Reconciliation Ministries. Um, St. Barnabas exists to encourage reconciliation between all people, all family members, all denominations, all Christian denominations, in all people and God. So uh, call us at any time or look us up on the internet and send us an email at stbarn.org, S-T-B-A-R-N.org. And if you want to talk to Deb, how do they get hold of you, Deb? Deb is gone, so you can't get hold of her. She has disappeared. (laughs) She took you literally. Nice talking to you. Goodbye. So anyway, (laughs) there are many fine uh, podcasts. So for example, Tomorrow, I don't know what's on tomorrow. Unfortunately, we don't have John on with us, but uh, every night of the week at 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central, uh, many fine podcasts, very interesting. And guess what? They're also all faithful to the Catholic faith. So uh, it's a good place to find interesting conversation, helpful and encouraging, hopefully, for you as well. So, uh Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord, for giving us this time together. And we ask you that you would continue to bless us in our efforts and that you would bring many people back to you to conversion through our work. And thank you for the good people who help us do this. We ask all these things in the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And we ask St. Barnabas, pray for us. Thank you, Yachek. Thank you. Have you eaten your supper yet? What's that? Have you eaten your supper yet? I did. I had not one, not even two, but three cheeseburgers. Um, they weren't very large, so I, I goodness, uh, but they were very good. Uh, so the answer to your question is is an emphatic yes. That sounds wonderful. I'm starving. Anyway, thank you for being with us. I do appreciate it, and I will talk to you later. Sounds good. We'll see you later, guys. Bye.